grew. Mm. What's in the box? What's in the box? Oh, God. <laughs> What's in the box? Oh. <laughs> that was not Brad Pitt's most. I, I love that. I love that. I've seen that scene many times in memes and, and, and everything else. I honestly, that was the reason I chose this movie. <laughs> it would be. It would be. <laughs> I'm I'm so glad I did though. I uh, Ryan, I want to get your initial impressions about seven. So, um, honestly, so okay, mm-hmm. this is one of those weird ones where like it was ninety percent beautiful on the technical side. There were a few things I had a pretty big problem, pretty big problems with. Okay, the story itself was great. I think whoever wrote it did a phenomenal job. It's brilliant. That being said, I have a huge problem with okay. the main characters. Okay. And not necessarily, like, their performances. Mm-hmm. I think, well, actually, I do have a little bit of a problem with, like, Brad Pitt's performance, because I, I don't think this is his best work. I think he got better, and this was one of his, like, not-so-good performances. Yeah, he was younger at the time, and he wasn't a season, for sure. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, I did yeah. have a problem with that, but, like, I don't know. I don't think it's the acting. I think mm-hmm. it's how the characters were written, and this is the best that they could do with what they were given. Like, I, I just, mm. I didn't like how the characters were written. I thought they were whiny. I thought they were angsty. I saw, like, really no emotion except for anger, which, to me, that's not compelling in a character if that's all they feel. Mm-hmm. So, I I just, I don't know. I didn't feel motivated to like the main characters all that much. Okay. See, for me, I thought this might be Fincher's best film. Okay. He's he's done. I mean, he's done. Uh, you know, was a Fight Club. He did Zodiac. Um, he did Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Haven't seen that one. Heard it's really good. I I think this is his best. Okay. And like I I just I think there's so many layers to it that I'll talk about as we go on. And that might just be for me. I'm very thematically driven. I love layers. I love it when you can peel a film back piece by piece and be like, oh, see, these things connect and this connects and this is how all this works out. So is this movie an ogre? An ogre? <laughs> well, you said that this movie has layers like onions. Is, so that, a Sh- is that a Shrek reference? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I... I love it, dude. I mean, obviously, you'll never get a perfect film, but this film is, for me anyways, uh, so good. By the way, I I do want to point something out. And it's why the Oscars literally don't matter at all. Is this film came out in 1995 with Pulp Fiction and Shawshank Redemption. I mean, you're like a powerhouse year for films. You figure these three films would have really cleaned up at least some categories. Pulp Fiction won best screenplay. That's it. That's literally it. Yeah. Otherwise, it was freaking Forrest Gump winning nearly everything important. It won best director, best picture, best visual effects, best editing, and Tom Hanks won the best leading, like he won leading actor. It's freaking insanity. Mm-hmm. 
That's insane to me. I've seen Forrest Gump. It's a good feel-good movie, I guess. It's nice. It's good. But it, it, you're, you're trying to tell me it's better than Pulp Fiction, Shawshank Redemption, and Seven? <laughs> I, no, I would I would 100% agree with that, bro. 100%. I mean, come on. Yeah. Oh, the Oscars. There's something. So I don't they watch are. them. <laughs> but let's let's talk about this little intro sequence here. Uh that opening shot of the lady just being super dead. Uh it's it's a great tone setter. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, like, for sure. It's really unceremonious. Like Somerset's just like, yep, yep, she's dead. Like it's just kind of a good insight to his character. Like this is not a big deal for him. He's used to it. He's very apathetic toward it. And I think it's a good way to kind of set up how this character views death. Yeah, there is one thing, though, that happened during the opening scene that I I wish we saw more of. Because he he's like, did the kid see it? Like, is the kid okay? Mm. We saw the empathetic side from him. And I don't think we saw it again. Like, we might have seen it with uh, Brad Pitt's wife. Mm. But that's pretty much it. Like, I... I don't know. I wish we had seen a little bit more of his like empathetic side because I think it would have added a little bit more to his character. Yeah, he I mean, it doesn't show up a lot, but when it does, like you can see he has a soft spot toward women and children. Mm-hmm. And really toward men, he's not so concerned. Um, which will show up a little bit more throughout. There were yeah. a couple of moments where it could have showed up again, probably a little more prominently, but Oh, this scene also kind of points out like one of my problems with this movie Mm -hmm. um which maybe i'm just ignorant but Mm -hmm. so morgan freeman's it wasn't his partner i think it was just some random cop at the beginning yeah he freaks out on him for asking if the kid's okay starts cussing at him going crazy gets all angry and is like yeah like to me that doesn't seem realistic at least for a cop, in my experience. And the other thing, so do you remember what Paul Patton would always say about the sacred use of the profane? Yeah, yeah. So we had a professor at college that would tell us, um, as Christians, we need to be aware of what we're saying. That being said, as writers, we also have to be aware that, you know, if somebody, if you're writing about a character who's got an anger issue and he smacks his hand with a hammer on a roof... He's not going to yell, darn it, or crap. He's going to yell, damn it, or some other swear word. Like, that's a sacred use of the profane. So, I think the reason he says that is because he doesn't want us to write movies like this, honestly, where Mm. every other word's a cuss word. And Mm -hmm. to me, that's like, yeah, there are people that have mouths of sailors and everything, but to me, that's the amount of swearing and anger that is in this, it, it just doesn't seem realistic to me. And, and maybe that is because I'm ignorant, but that's, I, I did yeah. have a little bit of a problem with that. So the way I interpreted it is this is a movie about sin, specifically the seven deadly sins. Yeah. And a movie about, and we'll talk about this more later, but also a movie about apathy toward those sins. And so in my mind, As the movie was unfolding, I was like, okay, this makes a lot more sense because this is supposed to be like 
an immoral city. This is supposed to be a city of people who genu- like genuinely do not care. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I interpreted it. Yeah, that's a fair inter- interpretation. Speaking yeah. of the city, did it ever say where they were? I don't remember catching that. No. And it really? was very intentional. Huh. Okay. Very intentional. I'll talk about that at the end because that is interesting. Sweet. But, um, oh, another thing in this opening scene. It took, uh, so when Mills and Somerset meet and they kind of have their first encounter, uh, they run a low angle throughout the entire conversation. And it's just kind of this interesting thing. Usually when you run a low angle, it's like a sign of power. And usually you'll run a low angle on one character and then the counter is like a high angle on another. So you kind of get like this power dynamic. But it ran them both on the low angle, which is kind of neat. It's kind of a power struggle. Like they're gauging each other. They're both trying to figure each other out. It's kind of neat. I'm not sure it's like a groundbreaking technique. No. But like it was kind of a cool little shot. Yeah, no, this movie did quite a few things that, um, again, not groundbreaking, but it was mm-hmm. just different, like something you not don't normally see. Um, yeah. There were times it didn't work so well. Um, my specific thought is they like to use transitions, you know, of, say, cars going in front of the camera to a transition to some other time or place or whatever. Um, yeah. And... I, I don't know if it was more often than not, but there were quite a few times where I looked at it, I was like, uh, that could have been done a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And that's just like a couple technical things, but, yeah. you know. Yeah, I mean, every I feel like everything in this movie was really intentional. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, whether it was super dynamic or not, it was really intentional. And so I give him credit for that, for sure. Another thing, like, speaking of the intentionality of it, um the music like yeah they timed the music to what was going on and what the characters yeah. were thinking so well like the they did score such a good job with the score yeah it's great um i, I want to get on to the murder by eating investigation which is it's great it's crazy dude that whole first scene is nuts i mean that's not the first scene but it's like the first murder in that string of seven deadly sins. Before we get to that, though, yeah, uh, I just want to s- just talk about or just say something about the um, opening credit sequence because yeah. I really I think that it's such a good job with this because it's all yeah, a bunch did. of extreme close-ups. We see like fingernails be or not fingernails, uh, fingerprints being scraped off. We see a bunch of papers. We have no idea whatsoever what it is. But by the end of the movie, we're like, oh. Hey, that's the connection. And if yeah. you can make a connection from the very beginning of the movie and then bring it all back together at the very end, I think that is just, it's hard to do that. And I think they did a good job with it. Yeah, the opening sequence is basically foreshadowing. Like, mm-hmm. it's just, the it's foreshadowing, like, the entirety of the movie. Yep. Which not many people do in the opening, se- like, in the opening credits. So it's kind of a ballsy thing to do with your opening credits, but I think it worked really well. Oh, yeah. And it didn't give away a thing. Like, no. I, I had no idea what was going on. I was just like, ooh, pretty. This is shot yeah. well. <laughs> oh, yeah. But <clears throat> so we get the uh, the gluttony, the first murder, gluttony. 
And I know, I know. It's mm. it's tough to watch, dude. Yeah. And like, but I I think the dynamics are interesting though, because and so you're talking about like these levels of empathy, right? And Mills obviously lacks empathy for this case, but from his interactions with his wife, we know like he's able to form relationships. So it seems like he's kind of written with the intent to be maybe sociopathic in terms of he can form relationships with certain people, but he also lacks like a general empathy toward violence and toward like these types of things. And then, and of course I'm not an expert. I'm just from what I know about it. Um, But I do think it's interesting. And then you compare that to Somerset, who's like very weary. He seems to like pity the guy more than anything. And then you set up this murderer who he's not only a killer, but he enjoys, seems to enjoy watching people suffer. So they lack empathy, all of them in some way, but it's just from like different motivations. One is tired. One person views them not as a person, but as like an opportunity and the other just lacks it in its entirety. It's just kind of interesting how all these three characters are sort of similar, but different. Mm -hmm. But I digress. (laughs) <laughs> but what did you did you have anything to say about that gluttony scene mm, honestly dude like i couldn't just, watch it just dry heaving it, it was so it, yeah it was so gross it was like it, and it wasn't even like the murder or the torture stuff because yeah i'm so desensitized to that because i do watch so many freaking movies mm. that like it just it the death isn't what bothers me it was the gluttonous part what he made him do to torture him and i was just like and the bucket underneath the table like yeah oh i had such a hard time watching this scene it would like it was really hard for me to look at it um from like a critique standpoint because i was just so disgusted dude it was perversely creative. Mm-hmm. Like it was, it was disgusting, and I loved it. <laughs> it was. I'm. I have a strong stomach, so like for me, that doesn't bother me at all. It was disgusting. It was. A, what did? It, how did they say it? He put a gun to his head and made him eat mm-hmm. until he was bulging, and then he kicked him in the stomach, and it like popped him open or something. <laughs> Something like that, yeah, dude. Like, I have a strong stomach too, but even that, like, I didn't feel queasy or anything. But I was like, this, this is gross. Like, dude. this is making me lose my appetite. I don't want to eat. Like, I just, I couldn't do it. Like, it's, I'm fine now, but it's insane. It's, yeah. it's, oh man. But anyways, I digress. Good job, good job, Phil. Digress. And they, I'll talk about it later. I'll talk about it later. I'm gonna get ahead of myself. <laughs> but. Okay, so we can kind of move on to the second deadly sin murder, I think, unless you have anything to say in between those two points. Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay. Um, so we have the defense attorney who's killed with the word greed spelled out, and that was kind of, you had gluttony and greed. That was when I was like, oh, uh, I was like, okay, like, yep. this is this is seven deadly sins coming out, gluttony, greed. Um, and so the title seven makes a lot more sense after that which i think is i i had no idea going into the film that that was the concept for this movie i, I didn't either actually 
I think it's so cool. Yeah, no, dude. Like, yeah, like it's despite super all my creative. problems with this, I love the creativity of the story. Like, I thought the story was so well done. Like, it's such a good, cool. I feel bad for saying that because it's murder, but concept. <laughs> uh, oh, another so a technical thing before I move on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I kind of want to just mention how good the lighting is in this movie, because it takes place primarily at night. But it never feels too dark. Hmm. And it never feels fake. Like it feels dark, but it feels intentionally dark. Like it feels like we're only getting what we're supposed to see. And like I, I understand like it probably feels like a really dark movie, and that was probably one of your problems with it. But I feel like that was also intentional because like this city, it's always raining, always at night. I feel like there was very few things they actually wanted us to see. And otherwise, everything else, they were just setting a tone. Like, they wanted it to feel this way. That's an interesting thought. Um, see, I I would half agree with that because, mm-hmm. well, first, when you mentioned the rain, I just want to point out, like, I... The rain, and it might have been my headphones because I saw the first half of this movie just on my laptop. Mm. Um, so I'd use my headphones. Okay. And the rain sound effect was too overpowering in certain scenes. Mm. Um, and, and again, that, that might have just been my headphones. I'm not entirely sure. But okay. when you talk about the lighting, like the darkness of the movie, it definitely added to the feel of it. My yeah. problem wasn't that it was too dark. My problem was that I think they had too high contrast. Mm, because okay. being having a dark movie and still being able to make out features of like characters or whatever is one thing. But like in the dark scenes, even if they were like intentional with gluttony, you know, we wanted to see his body. We didn't really want to focus on the detectives. That's that's very smart and very genius. Mm-hmm. But in my opinion, that they need to light it in a way that it's yes it's dark but we still Mm -hmm. need to be able to like make out features so we know like what their expressions are what they're feeling things like that Mm -hmm. and i think they bumped up the contrast a little too high so i couldn't really see their reactions and things like that now again that might actually be like Mm -hmm. my tv or my laptop or something i don't think it'd be my laptop but it's very possible Mm -hmm. it could be my tv but i don't know i just felt like the contrast was a little bit too high I, yeah. I do think the darkness of the movie was pretty well done. I just take away a little yeah, bit yeah. of the contrast, and I think it would have been you, still. You wanted great. a little. I th- you wanted a little softer, gradual lighting difference, maybe. Yeah, just a, a very okay. slight. Just because okay. I wanted to see like the reactions of the detectives and things like that, but I do understand okay. why they did what they did. Um, yeah. And so that might that might just be personal, but I, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. That is fair. Uh, I do like... Oh, what are you saying? I just, made a, just say, I just made a noise. Ho-ho! Oh. Ho-ho! Oh. <laughs> Ho-ho! Let me see you take your pants off. What? Uh, uh, what? I just referenced a TikTok. I went on a little oh. tangent. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, I was like, right now? <laughs> um, so you actually, you actually thought about it. Oh my gosh, dude! <laughs> oh, I'm messing. Um, <laughs> I 
I do like at this point how this movie is coming together. Like the murder is obviously well read, uh, poetic even, I guess, if you can call it that. And yet Mills is far from it. I mean, Mills is your hothead, small town guy, and he's trying to make a big splash in the city, but he's obviously out of his element right now. I mean, this guy's too smart for him. And yet Somerset needs somebody with a little more fire to kind of get this case going because Somerset's not in, he doesn't want to do it. And so Somerset's clearly the right person to try and understand this murderer, yet he needs Mills to be the driving force behind it. So I just love how they're setting up this dynamic of these two need each other. They just don't want to admit it. It's neat. No, absolutely. That was a very good dynamic. I I didn't quite understand. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Actually, no. Never mind. Forget I said that. That's not a, never mind. No. No, I thought that no thought fly. was going somewhere. No, I thought that thought was going somewhere. And then the more I was like, wait, no, never mind. That doesn't make sense. I yeah. You're Oops. like, I have a really good thought. Never mind. No, we're just gonna move on. <laughs> well, yeah, I fair. mean, look at the smoke coming out of my ears. I was obviously thinking a little too hard. <laughs> Stop thinking, Ryan. It hurts. Um, Yeah, thank you. I'm glad you understand. Thinking (laughs) hurts, man. I don't have a lot of brain power. I don't have many brain cells left. (laughs) Uh, If we want to – do you have any notes between what we were just talking about and the dinner scene? Um, Just that – the only other note I had was they did an Mm -hmm. excellent job of using foreground elements while they were uh, investigating the gluttony scene. Oh, yeah. Yeah, which I don't – it was – it's not as prevalent as the movie goes on, but mm. I didn't really notice that until, like, when the movie was done because I, I, I kind of thought back through exactly what I saw, you know, and everything. But they used foreground elements quite a bit in the beginning, but I think they slowly moved away from it. And I'm sure there was a purpose for it, but it was just kind of nice to see that at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, it was really nice. But that um, continued. Dinner scene. Awkward dinner scene. Yeah. Well, the dinner scene, um, so <clears throat> I guess the best way to compare it, probably, you know, you remember Avengers Age of Ultron and you had the farmhouse scene. Yes. And there were a lot of, it was kind of a split. A lot of people were like, oh, farmhouse scene. Let's just get back to the action. We didn't sign up for farmhouse scene. But like for me, that's one of my favorite scenes because that's when you get characters interacting on a more intimate level. And I, I obviously, I think, obviously, Age of Ultron and Seven are very, very, very different movies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, but I get the same sense with this dinner scene, and I love it because we get a more relaxed view at everyone. We kind of get the perspective of Tracy, and we see how she views Mills in contrast to, like, how Somerset would view him and how she views Somerset in comparison to how Mills views him. And these two characters have been at odds. Like, there's been at no point yet have these characters gotten along. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't even know if they've agreed on anything up to this point. No, they haven't. But because Tracy presented, like, this fresh perspective of optimism to both of them, they're finally becoming friends. Like, she cares about both of them. And it draws them together. It's kind of the, that common denominator that brings these two together, which I think is awesome. 
Oh yeah, I think for Tracy's. Sure. I think Tracy's a great character. I will say, after this dinner scene, I was a little worried that this was going to progress into a story of Somerset, <coughs> um, of uh, him sleeping with. Oh uh, no! Yeah, I, I really thought <laughs> it was going to progress into that, and I was like, no, 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 that is not, <sighs> no, no, please don't do that. We do not need that in this movie. And I'm, I'm so glad they, glad they did because they, honestly, that was the vibe I was getting between those two characters. Oh, uh, I could see that, yeah. Especially later on when they're in the like, I think it was a diner or something. They just met up to talk. Yeah, yeah. So I was just like, I, so I'm really glad that's not the route they took because I, I really, really thought they were going to. Yeah, I'm glad they didn't. I'm really glad they didn't. I, I, I think it was more a vibe of admiration. I think she admired Somerset. Oh yeah, absolutely, and I realized that later on. So, yeah. Uh, one one interesting part of this script that I think is great. You can see all my hand motions now. That's how you know I get excited. Is my hands start flying around? I mean, but, you guys can't, but I can. So, woo! Yeah. Wave your hands. <laughs> but, what is it? Wave your hands in the air like you just don't care. Yeah, I Got love on. it. I'll, what? I'm an idiot. <laughs> I love it how we're talking about a murder mystery of re- revolving on the seven deadly sins, and it's just still very lighthearted. <laughs> Wave your hands in the air like you just don't care. Uh, I love the story of the dead cop. When Mills is talking about the dead cop, and he's like, what was his name? What, what, what was his name? And like at first I saw that scene, and I was like, what's the point of this scene? I was like, I was trying to understand it at first. But it's all about apathy and we mentioned that a couple of times and that's going to be the big theme running through this whole movie that we'll talk about a little more at the end when i get to talk about the themes but but yeah it it kind of pounds home that idea that mills doesn't really care about this other guy it's just a cool story for him and he's trying to find some time in the spotlight he's really he fights apathy in the city, right? But he's also very apathetic toward the people around him, at least toward most people around him. I, it's an interesting scene. and It, it is really kind of is, a, especially, I think it shows his lack of empathy, apathy, whatever. Um, yeah. Empathy, because he can't yeah. even remember his name. Like, he can't even no. remember his name of who got shot. Like, that's not, if, if it was actually traumatic and it was something that he learned from or whatever, he would have remembered his name. So I think it just shows his lack of empathy towards anybody um, in this scene. And to me, that was really powerful. Like I I never actually questioned um, why this scene was there or anything. Like I wasn't confused at all. Like I knew right from the start, like, oh, all right. This shows that he really just does not care. Yeah. Which I think is a, it's, it's neat. It's a really neat dynamic. A guy who's trying to fight apathy lacks empathy. Very neat. Mm-hmm. Very neat. Um, oh, let's talk about the sloth murder. First, That's... first, I gotta ask you. Yeah. Can you. I didn't quite understand. Like, how was this guy sloth? So he's sloth because John Doe views him. Uh, I mean, he was kind of a bum, right? He was like a drug abuser. And he was like selling and using drugs hardcore and stuff. And so in John Doe's 
uh, very religious mindset, he views him as super lazy and a bum. Huh. Well, I guess that's just difference of character no. between me and him. I just I don't see how that sloth, but hey, mm. whatever. I I'd have to go back and and listen again. Um, but yeah, that's I I believe that was the take on it. Because okay. where John Doe is a, a zealot of types, mm-hmm. uh, you know, obviously drug users are are a no go. Drug abusers, drug sellers, whatever. Um, so yeah, unless you know you you unless drugs is your thing, then I guess he's probably doing pretty good for himself. Maybe I don't know. Don't Hard knock to him until you try him. <laughs> That's terrible advice. Don't follow that, kids. <laughs> don't but, do drugs. Stay in school. Yeah. Eat your vegetables. But, that's right. Just not too many. Or else you'll become the glutton. But God damn it, Drew. <laughs> but that whole scene, that's nuts. Mm-hmm. That that makeup is insane. Like it actually looks like he was laying in bed for a year. I I mean that effect was like that was just haunting it, it really was, was so so good i mean holy crap dude that was awesome and the way he just bounces like the way he just goes and like just kind of about i was like dude like i don't it takes a lot for jump scares to get me but that one yeah. actually got me cuz that like, was he looked uh, dead like I, because this is not technically a horror movie, I yeah. wasn't expecting it, so it got me. Mm-mm. Yeah, it got me too. I wasn't expecting it, dude. I actually jumped. Yeah, because he looks dead. Like he, I legitimately thought he was dead. Like yeah, he should have been. He looks stupid dead. <laughs> he looks so dead. Yeah, that was awesome. I love that. It might be one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Just. In terms of uh, unexpectedness, mm-hmm. yeah. so good. Uh, and then, we'll, so if you don't have any notes between that scene and the diner scene, we can talk about the diner scene if you'd like. Yep, I think I'm good actually. I don't think I have anything else, at least for okay. that part. Okay. So, Tracy again. Tracy's great. I love her in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's like this fresh of breath air in the story literally every time she comes into the story because it's just a new perspective on these characters. Everybody else is so uh, pessimistic and, and some of them are nihilistic and, and she's just so optimistic. But yet, and Gwyneth Paltrow still does a good job though of showing us that she's struggling a lot, Yes, but she's still optimistic. Mm-hmm. And I think Gwyneth Paltrow did such a good job portraying this character the way we did because i like you said i i it was a fret yeah you got a it breath of fresh air <laughs> to yeah. have a little more optimistic character but it was still real in the sense of she was struggling but she wanted to keep her optimism which is it's cool to see something like that and it is fresh especially among every other character in this movie who kind of sounds like they're about to punch a wall <laughs> yeah well and and it helps the pacing a lot because mm-hmm. if the entire film and she's not in it very much 
I mean, she doesn't have a lot of screen time, but when she comes in, it's kind of this break. You're kind of like, okay. Like you kind of get to relax and process when she comes on screen, which yeah, is Yeah, that's great. a very good way of putting it. And um, yeah, I mean, she's like, so, I don't, I can't really call her a plot tool because she's a fantastic character with like a specific function. So, like, is she going to win an award for, like, the most dynamic and, you know, layered character ever? No. But she doesn't have to be. Like, this is just an example of a, of a filmmaker who knows what he wants out of this character. He's not going to try to shoehorn her into other stuff. He has a function for her. He uses her for that function. And she's great. Yeah. Yeah. There's really not much else you can say. You summed that up so well. I, I got nothing. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, but I I do want to talk about this scene as the midpoint, though. Because, like, this movie, it, it is a bit meandering at times. You kind of just flow through it. Yeah. Uh, so the pacing isn't bulletproof. And I think to quote the common viewer, I guess, if that's how you want to say it, uh, it may feel a little long at times. And some of it might be the midpoint. It's not revolutionary. I mean, we little we learn a little bit more. Tracy's pregnant and Somerset had an abortion. Um, but that's about it. It's not anything where we're like, what? Or, like, there's any big shift in power or anything. Um, so, for me, like, it doesn't bother me a whole lot because I think this movie revs up really well. Uh, which, I guess, uh, for somebody listening who doesn't quite understand what I mean by that, I just mean, like, it's becoming more and more interesting and complex as it goes. But I think for the average viewer, um, I think maybe a more interesting or more, I, I guess, a midpoint with a bigger change in power might have helped the pacing. But that's just a possibility. I'm not to say one way or another because it didn't bother me a whole lot. No, it's hard, to t it's hard to say too because like for us who looks at every aspect of a film, yeah, having those little breaks are, you know, really nice. Because mm -hmm. it adds to the story, it helps the feel, sometimes it helps the pacing, things like that. But, you know, to yeah. the average viewer, it might be like, why are we just, why are we going from all this action craziness to, oh, I'm pregnant, I'm crying. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, so I think it helps the pacing, but I could definitely see how the average viewer would be like, what, why are we going to this scene? This makes no sense. <laughs> well, so, it's... I'm telling you as a filmmaker, it is a good thing. Look at it as a nice break and to help the pacing. Just look at it from a different light because I can see I, how it'd be a problem for somebody else. I think it depends on what you come into this movie expecting. I think if you came in expecting an action romp, you know, a la Fast and Furious or something that's just go, 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 go all the time. Mm-hmm which I typically don't like those movies. <laughs> but if that's what you're expecting, then 
what I mentioned is probably going to be more for that kind of viewer. But if you came into this expecting or hoping for something more layered and, and I guess, intelligently written, <laughs> you're probably pretty pleased with how it's going so far. <laughs> you can't go into this expecting it to be like uh, Kong or Godzilla. Which no. is nonstop action. No. Because that's not what this movie's about. Not at all. So, yeah. I, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just difference in viewers, I think. Yeah. Just know who you're writing for, I think, is, is the big thing. If you're a writer, just know who your audience is. If you're writing for the casual action moviegoer, you write for them. If you're writing for people who like a really thick, intelligent, meaty story, write for them. Thick with three C's. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, one thing I do find interesting in this film, they find John Doe on an FBI reading list. Does that actually happen? Like, is that a I'm, – I'm assuming that's a real thing. I mean, my guess is that it's possible, yeah. but movies make us think that it happens more often than it actually does. Well, I'm just kind of curious because one of the examples they used was Somerset was like, so if somebody checks out Mein Kampf, then we'll have him on an FBI reading list. I've always kind of wanted to read it. So if I buy Mein Kampf off of Amazon, am I going to be on some like Nazi watch list or something? Listen, the government will probably tell you that's not true, but let's be honest, they do a lot of sketchy shit, so you very well could be on a list if you buy that book. I might be on a list just for saying that right now. <laughs> I mean, I I don't know. I'm not a Nazi, I promise. What what is what is but, it they say that every every person has their own FBI agent that's constantly listening and watching them? So you better Problem. apologize to your agent, Drew. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> FBI agent. Listen, I'm just saying. I, you mean to tell me you're not remotely interested in how Hitler's mind worked? Like, he's a terrible dude. Obviously, nobody's arguing that. But, like, one of the most effective leaders... In the world's history? Now that you could argue. You're not in any way curious. I can't say that I am. <laughs> okay, I'm just weird. That's, well. Am I on a I podcast with a sociopath? Or like a, the next American dictator or something, Drew? <laughs> Dude, all, listen, all I'm saying is. Never mind. There's no getting out of this. I think I buried myself. <laughs> I'll say you're so you're so deep in the hole that you may not be able to get out. <laughs> I'm not saying I agree with the guy. Terrible guy, but I mean, come on, he doesn't miss. I mean, <laughs> oh gosh. Oh All right, gosh. I might, guys. We might not have podcasts after this week since Drew might be getting himself into trouble. <laughs> All right, well, we'll, <laughs> we'll get off the topic. This was an interesting tangent. 
<laughs> maybe one of the one of the more offensive tangents we've ever been on. I didn't say anything offensive. I think it's just anytime you mention it, I think you're asking for somebody to get offended. But anyways, we'll move on to the chase scene. The the chase scene uh, between John Doe and Mills. Um, which, by the way, in this chase scene, it was hilarious as he's chasing him down and M- Mills yells, get the F out of the hall, please. I'm just sitting there thinking like, well, at least he has nicely. <laughs> <laughs> it was just so funny to hear you him yell. You need to get your mother beep, 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 but please. Yeah, yeah please. That makes it okay. <laughs> oh, well, he, I mean, he did say please, so. <laughs> but... <clears throat> This chase scene is 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 awesome. Uh, I love this chase scene. Dude, my jaw hurts from laughing and smiling from your Hitler crap. <laughs> I'm the, do you need a second? Uh, <laughs> you need it. You got it. You good? Okay, I think I'm good. All right. Uh, I I have quite the tangent on this chase scene to get onto. But anything you want to say about it before I get rolling on this chase scene? Honestly, the chase scene was very uninteresting for me. I was, Really? Yeah, and part of that might have been my own fault, but like this chase scene just didn't catch my attention and like I said, part of that might be my fault. So I don't have anything to say. So if you have anything really? if you have obviously you have some good input, I can tell by your goofy little smile, like let me yeah. talk right, let me talk right, let me talk right. So I'm add I'm, that Drew. I'm shocked that you think it's uninteresting. Well, like I said, part of that might have been my fault. There were mm-hmm. a couple of times throughout this movie that I just, I kind of lost my focus. Um, only okay. a couple, and I think this yeah. always scene was one of them. See, the the thing for me is I know Mills can't die here. And typically when I know a character can't die, I'm like, eh, they can't die. Like, mm-hmm. I, I'm not worried about it. But, like, it was, it was still tense for me. Uh, part of it is how Doe is represented. Like, we know he's smart, but in this scene, he's athletic, he's calculated, he's, like, setting traps for Mills when he turns the corners. And, like, we see Somerset panic. Like, he is genuinely worried about Mills. And for me, part of it is how they shoot it. Like, they've, they've got some shaky cam, but when the camera's shaking, they're typically using a wide shot, so you can still see what's happening. Mm-hmm. And when they punch closer... They call him the shake down. So they're using the shake, but it's not like the Bourne movies where it's just like, <laughs> and it's just shaking all the time <laughs> with no purpose. The sound effect. <laughs> I mean, I, if you're shaking the camera that much, I don't know. But uh, it's just a good job of creating some dynamic motion without obscuring what you need to see. Mm-hmm. And Plus, they only show what they need to. Like, they box Mills into the frame. Like, they never really show where he's going. So you never see what's in front of him. And they always shoot Doe from behind. And he's, like, dodging in and out of sight. So, for me... Anyways, I I feel like it's an awesome chase scene. I feel like it's a chase scene where if you're a film student and you're trying to figure out how to shoot a chase scene, you should watch this. I will say, I, I'm i glad you said something about this because it, it made me realize, but um, yeah, the fact that they shoot John Doe like behind the back, there are mm. multiple times throughout this movie they do that. Like They shoot something, like it'll just pop up some random character. We'll see either just the legs or the back or something like that. 
which kind of gives us the feeling of, is that him? Like it doesn't happen often, but it happens often enough where you wonder, is that him? And I think yeah. that's a common shot before he, which we'll get to later, but before he turns himself in. So I think that's such a good shot to have for somebody who you want to be a mystery up until obviously he wants to be known. Like, I think that was such a smart call. Mm -hmm. When it's like even the photographer, like the photographer on the stairs scene. The photographer. The photographer. (laughs) Sound like grill. The photographer. Mm -hmm. But, but yeah, that, photographer on the stair scene that was cool because like i even i had to go look back at it again i was like did he even look like kevin spacey on the stairs and he doesn't well they didn't really show his face did they no they like hit it really well yeah so they like every time they do that it makes you wonder at least it made me wonder like is that the killer like because obviously serial killers like this um we've learned from other movies we've learned from like uh documented series and things like that that serial killers often want to be there to see what happens or they want you to know that it's mm-hmm. them even if you don't know the true identity and so it makes you wonder throughout this movie like if we get a shot of a character we can't see their face like is that the murderer is yeah. that him and it plays so well and they do it so well in this movie yeah oh uh before we move on too far from the chasing though i do want to just give a little bit of props to that shot with the gun pointed at mill's head in the rain it's awesome you remember that shot? I love that shot. Oh, I'm trying to think and I can't. Mills, How the Mills heck did gets, I miss that? Mills gets knocked in the head with the crowbar. He's on the ground. John Doe oh, yeah, points the yeah. gun at his head and it's like the super shallow depth of field. Only the gun is in focus. And it's like the rain coming down and the silhouette. But the hat, it's, I love that shot. That shot's sweet. How the heck did I not notice that so well? Like, I know what you're talking about. Why the heck did I not notice that as a... Huh. You said you were a little zoned on that part anyways. Yeah, that Maybe is that's true. Why. That is yeah. true. That's all right. I have to go back and see at least that shot. Yeah, I, love that I will, shot. For, I will awesome. for sure. I love that shot. Um, so I, I, I guess the next shot would be bar scene. Where they talk in the bar, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything in between them? Uh, I, so, I don't think there's anything in between because this bar scene is the next really important part of the movie, I think. so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, do you have anything to say about this scene specifically? Uh, Technically-wise, I think it was just average. Nothing fancy. Okay. Um, but this, I think this is the part that really adds to the characters. It gives us a little bit more insight, especially to um, uh, Mills? Brad, Brad, Pitt, Brad Pitt's character. Mills. Yeah, yeah Mills. Mills. Mm-hmm. I I think I I really like this scene, and I like the quote he said. Uh, and of course, I'm not sure if this is exact, but he said, "You want me to believe you're quitting because you believe these things, but I don't think you believe any of that. I think you want to believe those things because you're quitting." And the idea that Somerset just presented is that like most times people will take the easiest path and so he just he he thinks nobody like he he thinks the city's super apathetic toward everything and so for him it's just easier to believe how do i want to say this i'm all over the place give me a second so 
it's just easier for him to believe that nobody cares because then he doesn't have to care and he can quit. And it's like, it doesn't matter. None of this matters. It's very nihilistic. But he gets challenged on that. And Mills, who's been the hothead the entire time, basically just says, dude, you don't actually believe that. And you don't believe that for a second. You're just giving up. And you're believing that because you want to quit. And I, I don't know. I think it's a great scene. I think he gets checked. I think it's a great scene of a character getting checked. I might... I might be jumping ahead when I talk about this, but like I don't want to forget about it later because like Mills questions Somerset and vice versa constantly Mm -hmm. throughout this movie. Yep. But I don't actually see any improvement in either of them. And if you disagree, please tell me because maybe I just missed a little, like a little detail somewhere that proves that wrong. But I I disagree with Somerset. I'll agree with Mills. Mills is static. Somerset grows. Okay. Yeah. No. Mills for sure doesn't grow. But Somerset, how does mm-hmm. he? So, if okay. Somerset, so the trajectory Somerset started on was. Nobody in the city cares about anything. I'm going to retire because you just made matters. me realize you're right. You just made me realize he decides to stay on the case and he asked Mills to keep. You're right. All right. Yep. My bad. Yeah. I remember. I realized. I remember now. Yay! Yeah. I did that's, it. That's that's the difference. Is he started caring again? I got it. Yep. Yep. Right. So I yes, obviously I just misremembered a little detail. So yes, we're good. I'm good. But you're good. Woo. Uh, also. Just to pound that point home a little more, there is an awesome moment of symbolism in this film that is just absolutely perfect. Mm-hmm. Earlier in the film, Somerset had to use a metronome to go to sleep. And the metronome is it's the perfect symbol for like monotony or like apathy. Like it's just like it's the most monotonous thing you'll ever hear in your life. And Somerset needed that to get along in the world he's living in. Like he needed, it, it was, it was a symbol of like the apathy. Mm-hmm. And once Mills challenges that Somerset realizes he can't believe that anymore. And so he destroys the visual representation. I said that weird representation of apathy in the metronome. He takes it and he just chucks it against the wall because he realizes like, I can't just kind of coast through this anymore so apathetically like i need to get more involved i need to start caring again it's great there's i think there's another piece of symbolism in that scene Mm -hmm. um now this is just a theory i i could be wrong but he throws the metronome then he gets up gets a switchblade throws it at the dartboard Mm -hmm. if you notice earlier in the movie he was just throwing regular darts he never once hit the bullseye first throw with the switchblade hits the bullseye I think that Mm. kind of represents his realization in the sense of he finally knows what he wants. So he's able to hit the bullseye. He's able to hit the target. Mm. Not again, that is just a theory. I might be stretching things a bit, but that's kind of what I got when he did that. Good man. I like that. (laughs) I like that a lot. I think you're right. That's good. 
Can I record? Wait, this is recording. I have a recording of somebody saying I was right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Ryan. Woo. Symbolism. Go me. Go me. <laughs> yeah, Ryan. Okay. Come okay. On. I see you. I see you. <laughs> uh, I love that transition to the third act, by the way. With John Doe just walking into the precinct and just yelling, Detective! It is awesome. I love that scene. Mm-hmm. I didn't expect it. I really didn't. I didn't either. No, I, I had no idea. It, it, that threw me for a loop. He just walked in all bloody, and I was just sitting there like, oh! <laughs> no way! <laughs> Honestly, when he first did that, I was like, there's no way that's John Doe. He's just a fake. He's being paid by John. Like, I didn't think that was actually him. Like, yeah. I didn't think that was where he was going. And I was like, what the hell? Yeah, dude. And and the fact that they can do that. So he walks in. He turns himself in. And they're talking a little bit. And something just stinks about this. Like, it, it does not feel right at all you know something's wrong yeah and you still can't put it together this film does a great job of only revealing what it needs to because a lot of films show their hand too early and then by the time they do something like this you're like ah mm-hmm. okay yeah yeah and then you're just kind of watching the last half hour like yeah okay so i was right this film doesn't do that at all i mean it, it's it's great at hiding well yeah really like like the scene we'll we'll get back to it and explain this uh more in a minute but like even the scene with like the box it's never (laughs) revealed for one yeah but like we get absolutely no hints to what could be in the box until Mm. it's opened and that's when the killer starts to explain things like it it never revealed to us once or even foreshadowed what could be in yeah. the box. And I appreciate that. Yeah. Like this movie is so intentional and does such a good job of only showing us what we need to know in that moment or maybe shortly in the future that happens once in a while. But like it always kept me wondering and it's hard to do that for me because I've seen yeah. so many movies and critiqued so many that it's like, it's hard for me to not know what's going to happen. Yeah, for sure. If you can, if you can put together a mystery movie, a crime movie that gets me sitting here being like, what in the world is going on? Mm-hmm. It's good. Oh yeah. It's so good. But I also like how we get our first shot of like broad daylight. Like there's no rain. After they catch him. Like the the oh, detectives yeah, yeah. think they've won. Like they know something's up, but they're like, no, we won. Like something's up, sure, but we got him. We win. No more no more no more rain. Yeah. And there's I'm sure there's so honestly now I wanna hear if you have any theories with this, but um mm-hmm. the barrenness of where they go, like it's basically a desert. Yeah, I'm sure that represents something, but I honestly don't know what. Because, like you said, we finally yeah. get to see the sun. We finally get to see like a l- pretty bright uh, scene, which we haven't really up until this point. Mm-hmm. 
And I'm sure the desert is supposed to add some kind of aspect to that, but I just don't know what. Uh, I, I think it could be several. It could be taken probably a couple different ways. Um, part of it is the desert's so wide open. It's so barren, so revealing. And I guess you could take that part of it as Mills being exposed. Like there's nowhere for him to hide. He's trying to invoke his wrath. And just the setting of the desert being so exposing, there's nowhere to hide. Just like how there's nowhere for Mills to hide now. Like it's just him and John Doe. And this is what he's done to his, invoke his wrath. Like there's mm-hmm. there's nothing to hide behind. That could be it. Um, I'm not sure, but that, that would probably be off the top of my head. Maybe that could be something, or maybe I'm just overthinking this and there really isn't any real representation of it. Maybe it's just supposed to be a desert. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, either way, I'm I'm done with my tangent. I'm sure there's some type of, uh, symbolism or thematic element behind it. Like, I mean, like we said, everything in this movie has been very intentional so far. So Mm -hmm. I have a hard time believing that. They just did it for kicks and giggles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, Kevin Spacey is dynamic in this role. I didn't think it was him at first. Uh, he's so good. Wait, you didn't think it was him? I didn't think it was Kevin Spacey. Oh, really? Just because yeah. he's so much younger? That might, that might be it, but mm-hmm. I don't know. Just... I looked at him. I was like, "Is that Kevin Spacey? That that better be Kevin Spacey." Yeah, it's like, Kevin Spacey. Yeah, because his um, his acting ability, like mm. the way he portrayed John Doe, was amazing. I was like, "There's mm. no way this is not Kevin Spacey." And finally, yeah. it was revealed that it was, uh, or later revealed it was him in the credits. I was like, "Thank you." That yeah. explains why it was such a good acting character. <laughs> like. Listen, I know there's a lot of controversy surrounding Spacey in real life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know where anybody listening is at with that, I, whether he's guilty or whether he's not. I, I, I'm not going to talk about that. I don't know. Um, but there's no denying he is absolutely incredible. Yeah. In this. It, I mean, well, it's, I'm trying to think. There's another. There, there's quite a few actors that are just total dicks in person. Yep. Um, and Kevin Spacey, you know, with all the allegations and everything, whether he's guilty or not, I don't know the story, but to me, won't won't even comment on it. Yeah. Yeah. We're not going to get into that part, but whether it's real or not, whether it happened or not, whether he's a shitty person or not, it, you cannot take away from his acting ability. He is a phenomenal actor. He may be a crappy person. We don't know, but his acting ability is one of the best out there. And it has been for quite some time. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's one of the best actors of our time, mm-hmm, and that's sure. easy to forget until you watch him in a role like this, and you're like, "Oh my gosh, this dude is so good!" But like, he's he's smug, he's proud, he's just so convinced that this is his masterpiece. He he's great. He's great. He, he does he a shows very up. good job of of uh, portraying the god complex that he has. Yes. So good at it. Mm-hmm. But 
Um, and and then I guess it's just kind of we're at the conclusion. I guess. What's already. in the box? What's in the box? Oh God! What's in the box? <laughs> I hate that so much. I mean. Yeah, it, it wasn't Brad Pitt's. It shouldn't be on his acting reel, for no, sure. It, but no. I, I mean, Brad Pitt was young. I mean, this was early on in his career, even earlier than Troy, um, which I think Troy was, what, 2001? Um, Somewhere. In, it was in the 2000s, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, even then, he was still, you could see, he was still kind of like trying to get a hang of it. Because, I mean, he started out as kind of the heartthrob. More than yeah. anything before yeah, transitioning. No, you you can definitely see his improvement, and this is one of his earlier ones that you're kind of like, eh, it's a good thing mm. he got better. I, I mean, his baseline was good. Like, he did a pretty good job. He did a pretty good job through most of it, but it's when you started pushing him to his extremes that you could kind of see his acting kind of falling apart a little yeah. bit. But that aside, what an awesome conclusion to this story it's so cool like john doe wins like, like i mean he turns himself in he's dead it's like this very twisted uh ending but for all intents and purposes he won uh and it's like this really interesting you're not much different than me conclusion kind of mm-hmm. similar to what the joker was trying to do in the dark knight uh, oh, though, that's an excellent comparison. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, that's probably actually. I wouldn't be surprised if Nolan was directly inspired from this movie. That's yeah, huh? But it's it's just it's such an interesting ending. It really is. And I honestly didn't know if he was going to pull the trigger or not. I was I was kind of hoping he would. Honestly, I didn't really know how was how I was feeling about it, whether I wanted him to or not. But I I honestly could not tell if he was going to yeah. uh, pull it or not. No. <laughs> I I love a good ironic ending, like a bit darker. And if he hadn't pulled the trigger, then that means both Somerset and Mills have grown. It means that they are both dynamic characters and that they're both going. But this keeps Mills as a static character, which is kind of an interesting thing. Now that you say that, because he stayed static through the whole movie, I probably Mm -hmm. should have known that he was going to pull the trigger. Because I should not have expected growth from him at all. Because... He didn't grow at all throughout the entire movie. Why would he do it at the in the last what like two minutes or whatever? Yeah, yeah. It. I think it would have felt fake if he hadn't. Yeah. No, you're right. I'm, I'm glad he did. I mean, <laughs> as dark as I, I'm glad he pulled the trigger. I'm glad he killed somebody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Murder. But um, <laughs> Hitler. <clears throat> I just. <laughs> I just. I don't know. I, I think it's super interesting. Doe wants to prove that every person has a sin that they'll indulge in Mills's wrath. And just the way he invokes it by decapitating his wife. That's crazy. What's That's in the messed box? Up. What's in the box? It's your wife's head. Happy birthday. Like it's it's I love that. It's awesome. Oh my gosh. 
Uh, I, I got a look when I said happy birthday, man. <laughs> yeah, I wonder why. Hmm, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> first, first you want to learn how Hitler's mind works. Now you're happy that he pulled the trigger. Guys, Drew might be dead next week if his FBI agent finds here. We know he's heard this. We, we, we might not hear from him again. Yeah. Uh, I, I do want to point out, though. None of the murders are shown except for Mills killing Doe. Literally none of them. Mm-hmm. There's not a single death that is shown except for Mills killing. Everything else is just implied. The details are left obscure. And like Fincher turns our own creativity against us. Like he gives us super gruesome details. And lets us fill in the blanks. Which, and if you're a filmmaker, please take note of this. Because there are instances where it's far more compelling to show the aftermath or the details. And then leave the viewer's imagination to kind of run wild and fill in the blanks. Like, if you use it right, it can be a really powerful tool. Mm Mm-hmm. It's not to say you shouldn't ever show anything, but the way it's used in this movie, like sometimes it's a letdown to see the actual event take place. And so in these instances, it's way more effective. Like it's, it's, it's visceral and it, 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 like the gluttony scene earlier. Well, if you think about it too, John Doe's death really is the only important one. Yeah. Because he's killed by a main character who is obviously struggling with all this stuff. So his death is really the only important one because the others, yeah, they were sending a message, you know, you killed somebody, it was bad, he's not right, all that other stuff. But mm-hmm. it's really not important that he killed them. Yeah. We don't need to see the killing to have the same effect. Mm-hmm. Whereas we, when we see Mills kill John Doe, that has such a mental effect on him. It's meant to invoke feeling in us. That's the yeah. important death. Every other one is just like leading him up to that. Yeah. And it comes yeah, back I to agree. the intentionality of this movie. Yeah. It's good. It's a good thing to do. Oh, yeah. Well, murdering people isn't good, but. <laughs> well, I just said the F-bomb because he caught me off guard so much. I apologize, but oh my gosh, Drew. I'm kidding. I sure hope so. <laughs> but, um, yeah, anyways, like we said, <laughs> great ending to the story. We're going to get in trouble for this one, I swear. We might. Maybe we shouldn't talk about these dark movies like this, man. It brings out the worst in us. Us? In, You're the in one me. talking about murder and Hitler. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so anyways. Ryan. We digress again we, for like the fifth again, time. Again. Would you like to talk about the themes? Have at it. I th- I'm pretty sure. I'm not as good as identifying the themes as you, but I think... The uh, the theme of apathy and empathy is we talked about it so much and that's pretty much the yeah. biggest theme that I found and I think it's the only one that mm-hmm. really caught my attention so have at it Drew yeah let it all out well Ryan 
we are going to talk about apathy because that is, I mean, this entire movie is a narrative on apathy, specifically apathy towards sin, hence the murders all being related to the seven deadly sins. And our three main characters all have different responses toward apathy. So Somerset wants to leave a city full of people who are apathetic to like murder and rape and drugs and all that. And how does he do that? by becoming apathetic toward those people. And he wants to leave, so he just has to believe that these people don't care about anything. And then you have John Doe, who kills based off the seven deadly sins. He's also tired of people being apathetic. But he responds by making an example out of them in very, very sick ways. Mills is also frustrated with apathy. But he wants to become a hero out of it. He wants to also make an example out of people. But he wants to make an example out of the criminals. And so it's like this three-corner opposition where everyone has the same motivation or the same problem. But they just all approach it in different ways. And I love, I love that they all have the same driving force, by the way. And of course, for John Doe to prove <laughs> this is where it gets little for John Doe to prove that he's not actually different from everyone else, he decapitates Tracy to invoke Mills Wrath. Um, so you know he's not he's not much different, just a casual decapitation. Um, but <laughs> you keep digging your hole deeper and deeper, Drew. <laughs> I'm already here. We might as well keep digging. That's fair. but <laughs> <laughs> everyone approaches their battle with apathy in a different way, which is for me, that's what makes these characters in this movie so interesting is because they all have the same problem. It's just the way they go about it is very, very different. Cause wait, so let's see. I mean, so Somerset approaches it more with a little bit of empathy. Um, a, a tad bit. Yeah. Yeah. But he also some... ignores it. Like it's that's the battle between him is between those two things. Is should I ignore it or should I be empathetic? But yes. and then Mills approaches it basically with a hero complex, but anger. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then John Doe approaches it with basically a god complex. Yes. Okay. And then the 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 mindset at the end that wins out is Somerset. John Doe is dead. Mills is going to prison, I'm assuming, going to prison. Somerset's the last one standing, which is kind of the filmmaker's way of saying, hey, this is how you approach apathy. Not with a god complex, not with wrath and a hero complex, but with empathy and understanding. And I, I, just, I think it's great. It's really good. It's really good. Oh, yeah, because I guess it does show that, you know, take you give it to anger, you do something you shouldn't. Mm-hmm. You have something like a God complex like that. Well, this may not necessarily be true, but, like, movies say that if you have that complex, you're going to end up dead. Yeah, it'll come back to bite you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, earlier, you mentioned how the city is just called City. Right, it doesn't actually get named, mm-hmm. which I think is important, not directly toward 
the theme of apathy, but it does help support it. I just realized something. What? There, I think there's a reason they did not name the city. Yes. They don't want you to think that this a specific city is like this. They're trying to show that a, pretty much every big city is like this. Exactly. I yes, did it. You're really, really close. You're, you're right there. Because if they said this is New York, or this is Chicago, this is LA, whatever, whatever, then you get those people who are like, well, I live in New York and it's not that bad. Mm-hmm. But this is like an abstract, like an artistic representation of immorality in the cities, right? And like it's intentional that he never names it. Very intentional. Uh, and it's also like the way he goes about even even shooting the city. Like he doesn't want us to get any sense at all of what the city is. Mm-hmm. And like he kind of just wants us to feel trapped more than anything. Like he doesn't – you, you probably noticed this technically. He doesn't give us establishing shots. Like at no point – in this movie do we really get a grand establishing shot of anywhere we're at we're oh, just there shoot you're right i didn't even now that you say that i realize but like i didn't even notice that watching it the first time dang yeah huh. yeah he wants us to feel trapped and then plus the constant rainfall lowers the visibility even more we're just kind of in a muddled mess of a city with no real orientation of where we're at yeah which is great. I, I I think it's, I think it's a really cool thing. I'd agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. But that's all. That's all I have to say. Okay. Ryan. Yeah, yeah. Spicy hot outro. I know. Yeah. Well, <sighs> thank you for joining us, everybody. Um. That there's a couple of things I think you should take away from this. Uh, one, don't be like Drew. Two, yeah. don't be like Hitler. Three, yeah. don't be like John Doe. Four, don't be like Mills. And five, just do, do as we say, not as Drew does. <laughs> so stay away from trouble, everybody. Because... Right now, I got to somehow dig Drew out of this hole. So wish me luck, everybody. We love you. Hopefully that you love me enough to help me. and send. Or my... you could just fill the hole with water and kill me. Join me. Drew, this murder. is the kind of murder. shit. Murder. Murder. This is the kind of shit I'm talking about. You know what? Screw this. I'm not digging you out. You can stay in your hole. Thanks for joining us, everybody. I tried to make light. I tried to make it so yes. Drew was going to be end up being a good person, but that's apparently not the case. So goodbye. <laughs> Wish me luck. Hopefully he's not dead next week. Bye. Goodbye. Piss off. <laughs>